yo, yo, welcome to another edition of the Round Ball Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Forge. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at SportsEthosOnline, SportsEthos.com. Today is Wednesday, January 3rd, first Wednesday of the month, first week of the year. And I have a bit of a treat for you. Honestly, it's a show you probably should have gotten uh, a few days ago, but production has been fun. Uh, OG and Obi trade happened, and I forgot in post to put it up. So I'm going to put it up now. I'm going to give you a brief recap of the games that were played last night, and then you are going to be able to sit back and enjoy a 2024 NBA mock draft of the lottery that I did with good friend and frequent collaborator Stephen Bagel. You can follow him on Twitter at the underscore NBA G-E-L-L. Uh, you've heard him on this show before. I've been a guest on his show, The Bird Rights Pod, several times. Um, but he's an NBA front office expert and host of The Bird's Right Pod, The Bird Rights Pod, and the One and Done Pod. And he's a contributor uh, to the lead, which I contributed with as well. You can follow them on Twitter at the Lead SM. So we have a fun conversation going back and forth, drafting players for the lottery, um, just to get a better feel for the 2024 draft and all of the things that come with that. So definitely want you to tune in and enjoy that one. But first, let's talk about the games that were played last night. We had a couple of fun ones. Uh, The first one was what people thought was already going to be the game of the night. Like it was inarguably the game of the night. And that was the Oklahoma City Thunder beating the Boston Celtics 127 to 123 in a very Close game, a clash between two of the best in the NBA, which is not surprising for Boston, a little bit surprising for the Thunder, but really cool to watch nonetheless. The Thunder were led by, who else? Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who had 36 points, 6 rebounds, and 7 assists. Uh, he played really consistent down the stretch. I mean, he was mad efficient, being guarded by the likes, of course, of Drew Holiday and Derek White, and was unfazed in the slightest. He finished the game shooting 14-22 from the field, with three of five from three, in addition to the rebounds and assists. A monster game. But it wasn't just him alone. You had 23 points from Josh Giddy, who I know is not popular, but he actually had a pretty solid game. Eight of 14 from the field, four of seven from three. Uh, for a guy who's not really a three-point shooter, really solid shooting there. Made all of his three free throw attempts, had eight rebounds and six assists as well, um, to only three turnovers. So pretty solid from him as well. Chet Holmgren, just shy of a double-double, had 14 points um, in seven assists. I know, not what you would think for a double-double. Only had three rebounds, but he did have four blocks. So, really solid there. He was 5-9 from the field. He knocked down some big threes. And then Jalen Williams, 16 points, 6-9 from the field, 2-2 two two from three. Um, really good game for him. L- Lou Dort didn't have a great game. I mean, defensively, you know, he was the Dortcher chamber. <laughs> no, but he had nine points, eight rebounds, and an assist and a steal with three blocks. So he definitely made havoc on the defensive end, despite him not being efficient at all from the field. Just 4-14, which is good for 28% if you know your math. I didn't. I have the stats up. And one for seven from three. Off the bench, Isaiah Joe, four or five from the field, two or three from three. You leave the guy open, it's basically three points on the board. Kaysen Wallace, again, as spectacularly efficient as always two of three from the field one of two from three three points three assists for him for the celtics i mean the main guy was jason tatum who had 30 points along with 13 rebounds love to see him get in there and mix it up and eight assists as well um he shot pretty 
efficient from the field, although not as efficient as the next guy I'm about to talk about, who actually led the Celtics in scoring. Um, Tatum was 10 of 21 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, um, and I like the 8 assists as well. Uh, to Four turnovers. You know, one, what, 2 to 1? Not a horrible ratio. Kristaps uh, Porzingis whew, had himself a game. 34 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 blocks, 12 of 18 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, and then Derek White, who is continuing his all-star bid. 7 to 12 from the field, 5 of 9 for 3, which is good for 19 points, along with 5 rebounds and 6 assists. Uh, Drew Holiday did not have a great game. Minus 15 and 30 minutes of action. 2 of 8 from the field. Both of his makes were two were 3 pointers. Had 5 rebounds and 7 assists, but not super great there. Um, and then Jalen Brown, I mean, did not have a great game. He uh, was had 15 points in 37 minutes, and it wasn't for lack of shooting. 15 points on 18 shots. He was 4 of 18 from the field. Missed every one of the 8 3-pointers he attempted. Was 7 to 8 from the free throw line with 6 rebounds and 3 assists, but not great for him. And the bench for the Celtics, not a whole lot there. 7 points for Al Horford. Uh, 6 points for Sam Hauser. 5 points for Peyton Pritchard. And that is all, folks. But you gotta love the balance of it. It was a tight back-and-forth game. Um... Thunder kind of pulled away late in the third into the fourth. Celtics came back and made a game of it, but ultimately OKC gets out with a win. Um, and they have another game tonight. We'll talk about the tonight's games uh, at the end of here, at the end of the segment here. Um, after that, you had uh, the 76ers blowout. Well, this was before the 76ers blew out the Chicago Bulls. 110 to 97 wasn't even a game really um, after the first quarter. It just wasn't. It was nasty work to have to watch that. Um, that that's that's all I gotta say. It was it was not a fun game uh, in terms of watching. If you are a Chicago Bulls fan, 76ers hit the Bulls in the mouth early. We're up by 20 points at the end of the first quarter. We're just blitzing Chicago. Embiid already midway through the first half had a triple double watch with 13 points. Five rebounds and five assists. For the record, he did indeed get the triple-double. It was just not a fun game for Chicago. They couldn't get anything going. They couldn't defend Embiid inside. They couldn't buy a bucket, and they went down hard. Um, Like I said, Embiid with 31 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists. Didn't even mess around and get a triple-double. Just got a triple-double and was just relaxing for the fourth quarter, as he has had a want to do in his games with the 76ers because... They've dominated. Um, you also had 21 points from Tyrese Maxey, along with five assists. You had 20 points and eight boards from Tobias Harris. You had 16 points from Kelly Oubre Jr. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, it was target practice for the 76ers starters. You didn't get a whole lot from the bench. I mean, even though everyone on Philadelphia's bench got some action, there wasn't a lot of points from anyone off of their bench, which, I mean, might be a concern, obviously, with injuries, and we've seen it when Embiid's out. Like, there's not a whole lot of firepower from there. Um, but aside from that, you didn't need it when it was target practice for all the starters. And the plus minuses on these, I don't really go into it too much, but, like, it was a plus 32 for Embiid, a plus 32 for Tobias Harris, plus 28 for Kelly Oubre, plus 24 for Tyrese Maxey, plus 18 for Nicholas Batum, plus 15 for Pat Bev. Like, it was a monster game for the Philadelphia 76ers. For the Bulls, listen, they shot 38% from the field and 18%. That is not a typo. 18% from three, not for lack of trying. They attempted more threes in Philadelphia and made less of them. Um, your leader, if you want to call it that, was DeMar, DeMar DeRozan. 16 points, four rebounds, three assists, five attempts shooting. Missed every one of his three threes. After that, listen, slim picking. 15 points for Ayu Dusumo on 14 shots. 14 points on 15 shots for Kobe White before leaving early with an injury. Hopefully he's doing okay. 
11 points for Andre Drummond along with 17 rebounds, and he was really your most productive member of the Bulls. And Patrick Williams also left early with injury, only played 10 minutes of the game, and was somehow a minus 20 in those 10. So listen, it's a game if you're Chicago, you want to wash away. You don't, don't even wash it. Burn it. Burn it to the ground. Just not a good game. Um, another blowout. New Orleans Pelicans beat the Brooklyn Nets in a game that was over early. Uh, just... Just a monster game again for the Pelicans. Not even a monster game for the Pelicans, much as it was just a bad game for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, for the Pelicans, uh, leader for them would have been probably CJ McCollum. It was a balanced scoring effort, but CJ McCollum had 16 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, shot pretty efficiently from the floor, 6 of 11 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. You had 14 points from Herbert Jones. He made two three-pointers. You had 13 points off the bench from Jose Alvarado. You had 12 points from Brandon Ingram. You had 10 points from Zion Williamson. 11 from Jonas Valanciunas. No one on the floor that played 20 minutes or more, aside from Jordan Hawkins, who did not shoot well. 3 of 13 from the field, 2 of 8 from 3 for 11 points. Everyone else shot better than 50% from the field. Like, yeah, just mad efficient. 12 points on 5 of 9 for Ingram. 10 points on 5 of 9 for Zion. 11 for 5 of 5 for Jonas. 14 on 5 of 10 for um, Herb Jones. Like, you did, like, yeah. And everyone on New Orleans got some action as well. That's how much of a game it was for the Pelicans. Um, For the Nets, again, got hit in the mouth early and couldn't find a bucket. That was the recipe for their demise last night. The Nets barely mustered 35% shooting from the field, 25% from three. Um, And just like the previous game between the Bulls and the 76ers, the Nets attempted more threes than the Pelicans and made less. Not a recipe for success. Just letting y'all know. Um, If you want to call it a leader for the Nets, Cameron Johnson at 17 points on 50% shooting, 5-9 from three, four rebounds and two assists. After that, you had only two other players in double digits. 13 from Mikel Bridges on 4 of 11. 12 for Dayron Shop on 6 of 9. Spencer Dinwiddie came, saw, left with a minus 25. 5 assists, 0 for everything. And just got some cardio aside from a turnover. Nick Claxton, 8 points and 3 rebounds is all he could do. Dorian Finney-Smith, 3 points and 4 boards is all he could do. Again, just a blowout. Not a whole lot there to talk about. Um, Grizzlies beat the Spurs 106 to 98. John Morant finished with 26 points, 5 rebounds, 10 assists, and a dunk on Wemby. I don't know if I... It was more like a dunk around Wemby. Like, a dunk on somebody to me is like you dunk on them. Like, Wemby turns around and Zion is hurling through... I mean, not Zion. Ja is hurling through the air to throw it down. I mean, it was more like an outmaneuver with John Morant's, like, lightning quick reflexes to kind of reposition himself, and then boom. It was a good dunk. I just... I saw a whole lot of Ja on Wemby, and I was like... Yeah, I guess technically it was Jaw on Wimby, but it wasn't like Vince Carter on Frederick Weiss or anything like that. Like let, let's 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 call it a buck fifty, right? Um, other than John Morant going off, you had twenty four points from Desmond Payne on sixty four percent shooting. He was eleven to seventeen from the field. That was really good. Uh, thirteen points for Santi Aldama. Twelve points for Luke Kennard, who finally got some good run. Ten points for Jaron Jackson Jr. A game he liked to forget. 3 of 14 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3. And then 5 points from Marcus Smart, also a game you like to forget. 1 of 7 from the field, 0 of 4 from 3. And mind you, with those horrific shooting numbers, I mean, those guys, Smart and Jackson combined for 4 for 21, 1 of 8 from 3. Um, They both finished 
in the plus, in the plus-minus category. So that just shows you how dominant of a game it was for the Grizzlies and just their starting five in general. Um, for the Spurs, Victor Womanyama had 20 points on 8 of 16 shooting, hit a one-leg three like he did um, back in the exhibition game, I think against, um, no, he did it in when he was in France. So it wasn't, it wasn't against uh, G League United, but it was a couple months, it was, a couple months ago that he did one of those. It wasn't a clean three, but it was still a nice-looking one-leg three that found its way in the hoop. Aside from that, 19 points for Kelton Johnson, along with six rebounds and four assists. Um, he's been uneven, but I've liked his play for the most part. 12 points apiece for Jeremy Sohan and Julianne Champagny, um, and then 11 for Devin Vassell. It wasn't a great night for the Spurs from the field, uh, shooting just 42% from the field and 32% from three. Uh Warriors beat the Magic 121 to 115. Steph Curry went off, had 36 points and six assists. Um, that was enough to outlast Paolo Bancaro, who had 27 points, 12 rebounds, and six assists for the Magic. Uh, in addition to uh, Bancaro's 27, Franz Wagner had 25 points on 10 and 19 shooting. Um, Goga Batazzi had 13 points, made every one of his shots, six of six from the field, one of one from three. 10 points for Jalen Suggs on 14 shots. Not very good. He was 3 of 7 from 3, so that's fine, but 3 of 14 from the field overall. Um, and then 12 points for Mo Wagner, um, 5 of 8 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3. Those were your only double-digit scores for the Orlando Magic, um, who shot decently, considering, but just didn't have a whole lot going on outside of Paolo and Wagner. Um, for the Warriors, outside of Steph Curry, going off 12 of 20 from the field, 4 of 9 from 3. Uh you had 19 points from Jonathan Kaminga, 7 of 14 from the field, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. They really played him more in that Draymond role as that initiator forward guy, which I liked. Klay Thompson had 15 points on 6 of 11 shooting. Uh, Chris Paul got the start, 12 points and 4 assists for him, made all three of his three-pointers. Trace Jackson Davis, 10 points, 4 boards in his 23 minutes of action. And off the bench, Brandon Pajemski had 10 points, Andrew Wiggins had 10 points. Um, and that was really it for your production. But when you have Steph Curry going off like that, not a whole lot else needs to be done. It was good that he got some help, though. And then last but not least, a game that I personally enjoyed and covered in detail on the Sports Ethos Charlotte Hornets podcast, which you should also check out. The Hornets beat the Kings 111-104 to in a tight game that went down to the wire. Terry Rozier led the Hornets with 34 points, 3 rebounds, and 6 assists, but he did have help. Miles Bridges chipped in with 27 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists on 50% shooting. Off the bench, P.J. Washington had 17 points, 4 rebounds, and 4 assists, and he always seems to go off against Sacramento. Always fun to see. The Kings, De'Aaron Fox led the way, 30 points, not very efficient, 11 to 25 from the field, 3 of 10 from 3, but a 5 rebound, 6 assists, and was a terror in transition for the Kings. Um, aside from that, DeMontis Bonus had a dubious triple-double, 23 points, 19 rebounds, 11 turnovers. Uh, credit to the Hornets for getting in, digging in, making it uncomfortable for Zabonis, uh, making it difficult for him to get the shots that he wanted, and ultimately helping him commit a lot of turnovers and miss shots. He was 11 to 21 from the field. I would say at least eight of his 19 rebounds were rebounds off his own misses. It was like a miss, a rebound, a miss, a rebound, like one of those. So good credit for the Hornets for really getting in and making it difficult for Sabonis there. Uh, Keegan Murray had 10 points on 4 of 12 shooting. Harrison Barnes, 3 points on 1 of 2 shooting. Not a whole lot there. Malik Monk went off the bench, hit two, three, two key threes for the Kings at the end of the third, but those were his only points of the game. Just 6 points, 3, rebound, three rebounds, 2 assists, a minus 21 for him. Um, but that was last night's slate of games. Really fun. You had a, your mix of blowouts, your mix of close ones, and you're kind of in between games, but really cool to watch. All right. Tonight's games, got a couple of them. 
um, a couple of nationally televised games. And so we're going to start with our early ones first. So let's get into our 7 o'clock game. Milwaukee, um, this is Eastern time, by the way. Milwaukee will face off against Indiana for only the 37th time this season. I'm just kidding. Um, But they did play two nights ago, and they will have a clash again in Indiana. Um, That's a league pass game. Your next two league pass games are also at 7 and 7.30, respectively. The Washington Wizards at 6 and 26 will continue to try to avoid being the Detroit Pistons as they face off against the Cleveland Cavaliers in Cleveland. At 7.30, the Oklahoma City Thunder will play the second half of the back-to-back in Atlanta against the Hawks, who are hopelessly mediocre and actually a little bit worse than that. At 8 o'clock, the New Orleans Pelicans playing the second half of the back-to-back. Should be well-rested. We'll play the best in the West against the Minnesota Timberwolves, who will be a little smarting after their loss against New York on New Year's Day. Also at 8, the Memphis Grizzlies on the second half of the back-to-back will host the Toronto Raptors with their new additions, RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. Brooklyn will try to respond after a horrific loss. We already talked about that. Against the Houston Rockets, that's going to be at 8 o'clock as well. After that, we get into Portland and Dallas at 8.30. Um, Dallas has Luka and Kyrie. They got them back against Utah when they had that horrific loss. And now they're going to try to bounce back, hosting the Portland Trailblazers. At 9, the Detroit Pistons will be playing the Utah Jazz. At 3.30, we'll see if Detroit can try to avoid becoming 3-31. and 31. At 9 o'clock, a game I'm very interested in watching, league pass game. Los Angeles Clippers will be going to Phoenix to play the Phoenix Suns. Hopefully, Kevin Durant can play, in which case you will have the big three against a Los Angeles Clippers team that has been red hot over their last 10 games. 10 o'clock, the Magic will again play on the second half of back-to-back, playing the Sacramento Kings, who are also coming off of a loss. So we'll see which one escapes and breaks the 19-win mark with the win against each other. And then to close it out on ESPN, um, Miami will be playing the Los Angeles Lakers um, at 10 o'clock. So that'll be fun. Los Angeles dead even at 500. We will see what happens there. Oh, I forgot the big ABC primetime game. On ABC, they're doing a thing called NBA Wednesdays now. So we'll see what that looks like for the first of five NBA Wednesday games. Um, The Bulls will be playing the New York Knicks. This will be the first meeting between the longtime rivals in over a calendar year and the debut of the big NBA Wednesdays, which, okay, I guess. Let's get it. Usually I'm used to the NBA games on ABC being on the weekends, but we could take a Wednesday, I guess. It's just weird to have one on ABC and one on ESPN, but here we are. All right, y'all. Well, that will be it for the update for today. Um, looking forward to getting right back with y'all tomorrow and recapping the action and going from there. Uh, but sit back, relax, and stay tuned because I'm about to put on good friend Stephen Bagel as we do our 2024 NBA mock draft of the lottery. So, as always, I am Frosty. Y'all say Frosty. Sit back and enjoy this, and I'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of the Ramble Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. This is Sports Ethos Presentation, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Actually, I might even also plug this on on the Swish Theory feed, so check out the fine folks of Swish Theory as well on Twitter, at Swish Theory Online, SwishTheory.com. Great content when it comes to draft work. 
team building philosophy, player profiles, you name it, they have it. Sports ethos, looking for anything fantasy related, all of that in this year, team podcasts and the like, such as Round Ball Ramble, they have that. So good place to check out all around. Um, speaking of a good thing to check out, check out, my, I want to say at this point, near co-host on this show, but frequent guest, let's say friend of the program, and he doesn't just do this. The dude literally is some like a legit lawyer on the side um, just for fun but also NBA front office expert. He hosts two different pods. He's a contributor to The Lead, which I also love. Shout out to The Lead SM on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter at the underscore N-B-A-G-E-L-L. Yes, you know him, you love him. It's Stephen Bagel. Stephen, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well, Corbin. Ready to, you know, obviously I have an NBA front office podcast. I have a college basketball podcast. So the NBA draft is sort of where those two worlds collide, if you will. They do. You are uniquely qualified to be an expert on both. And I love having you as a friend and also a resource here for a pod like this, because what we are doing, ladies, gentlemen, friends of everywhere, we are doing a 2024 NBA mock draft, just a lottery, just as like a little way to get ourselves a better understanding of the draft, what players to look out for, that sort of thing. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we had on a uh, friend of the show, Stevie Cousins, and he um, not only shared his story being a scout in Australia, but also sharing, or scout in New Zealand, rather, but also, you know, getting a little dive into this draft. And so with Stephen here, we're going to do more of another Stephen, just realized that. We're going to do more of an exploration into the draft through the lens of a mock draft. And we are doing this um, according to Tankathon's NBA odds. So mock, um, basically reverse order according to standings, which y'all pretty much already know, but if you don't, We'll kind of run through them. Uh, we have Detroit, San Antonio, Washington, Memphis, Portland, Charlotte, Utah, Chicago, Atlanta, San Antonio via Toronto, Portland via Golden State, Cleveland, Phoenix, and New Orleans. Now, mind you, this is as it stands right now, where the only teams I think will probably still be squarely in the mix is Detroit, San Antonio, and Washington, because look out. I don't expect Phoenix to be there. I don't expect New Orleans to be there. Don't expect Cleveland to be there. We'll see about Golden State and every other team down. But we're going to do just a mock draft. Um, we're going to let Steven go first. He is the guest. He is the expert with number one. We'll take turns and talk about the players as we do. But, Steven, without further ado, let's get you on here. So you said Detroit's number one. I know Detroit obviously has a world record in the NBA. They do. Okay. They do. So <laughs> I'm a big proponent of just my draft philosophy being always take, if especially if you're like a lottery team, the best player available rather than fit, um, especially with the pick that high. So I know this draft class people are a little down on in terms of like, I think it was Sam Vecini and his most recent big board. The guy he had number one last week is not only no longer his number one this week, but he also said the guy he had number one last week wouldn't even be in his top eight in last year's draft. That is Just wild. <laughs> that is wild. Of how not top heavy this draft is and the lack of, you know, stall power at the top of this draft. Um, so without further ado, I honestly don't know who to put number one. Um, but what is ironic is I just want to go back to the 2020 draft real quick. Everyone said that anything Edwards, LaMelo Ball, obviously Tyrese Halliburton, Desmond Bain, Tyrese Maxey, they all came from that class and ended up being a great class. But that year, everyone said, eh, this is the worst draft class we've had in a while, and it turned out to be great. So, 
yes, there might not be the star talent at the top of the draft, but it doesn't mean that a guy in the 15, 20, 30 range isn't going to, you know, pop and, you know, be a star. So you just, you kind of got to find the value in every draft. So number one, we have the Detroit Pistons. I will take for them, again, I'm just going to take the player who's number one on my board as of now, even though my board has been fluctuating quite a bit. And this guy does fit a little bit as well. So that's always a good thing. When they're the best player available and they fit a need. And that's Alex Saar, who is a big man, mm-hmm. seven foot one. He plays for the Perth Wildcats. Mm-hmm. His brother, Olivier, I believe is on OKC, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Yep. So, okay. So, Saar, basically, I've seen some comps to him being like Nick Claxton on defense. And Nick Claxton is a top 10 defender in the NBA. Um. I have seen also people compare him to Jaron Jackson Jr., which obviously is a much higher-end outcome. He Absolutely. just won defensive player of the year. And I think the biggest thing with Star is that he really needs to develop that jump shot to be able to be like a Triple J-type guy because he's yeah. working on it, but he's not there yet. He's definitely like a poor man's JJJ. Nick Claxton is obviously a much, um, a much more realistic outcome for him. But he's 7-1. He not only protects the rim, but he's super switchable. He slides his feet very well for a big man, so he can cover the perimeter a little bit. And in today's NBA, that's important. Ground coverage is so important in today's um in today's draft philosophy, just team building in general. The more ground you can cover, the better you're gonna be on defense. So yeah, I'll give Alex all number one. I think he could play next to Jalen Doran. I he would provide some shooting. Pistons have been playing two big men anyway, with obviously Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Doran or Marvin Bagley or James Wiseman. They've been playing two big men together anyway. So if that's how Monty Williams was to run this thing, then you might as well take a big man to play next to Doran. I was going to say, do you have any concerns about him being a big man on a team that has several big men? Well, I'm not a big Wiseman or Bagley believer at all. So, I mean, Fair. I don't even think they're NBA players. So, yes, I do. I do like Doran. Um Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be a pretty monstrous defensive and rebounding combo one day, him and Saul. But again, take the best player available. You're borderline on pace to be the worst team in NBA history. You're two and twenty-one or two and twenty, whatever they are. Take the best guy available. I think that's all. Figure it out later. I like it. I can get with that. I agree. I think that leaves me with an interesting one with the San Antonio Spurs at number two. In this one, I mean, listen, they've lost 18 straight. Their last 10, insanity. Um, They've been giving some fight, though, but one thing I know is they don't have a point guard like that I guess they trust because Trey Jones is solid. Is he a starting-level point guard? Mm, I don't know. I think he should be starting for this team, but he isn't. Um, Jeremy Sohan has been the, the project, and it's been a failed one, in my opinion, as of now. So I really want a guy to get the ball, like get the Spurs into their offense, get the ball to Victor Womanyama, like, I don't think they have anyone like that. Like, even if they want to, like, their court vision is already bad, but they don't have anyone to give the ball to him even if they wanted to on a consistent basis. And that's why with the second pick, I'm going with Isaiah Collier at a USC. Isaiah Collier, 6'5", 210 pounds, will be 20 at the, at, at, he'll be age 20 at the draft. I think he has supreme pick and roll navigation ability. I think he gets to the rim with ease. He seems like a pretty strong lead guard. And I have written here because I, I'm doing a little scouting book that he has a great frame as well. And so I like him having a solid guard who can play 
I'd say both positions, but one is a point guard. He plays through contact. Um, he's got a bully defender. He doesn't shoot the three as much as I would like. So he wouldn't really add to, you know, he wouldn't uh, fix a weakness of the Spurs. But I think they're outside shooting outside of like Devin Bissell, Calvin Johnson, a few guys here and there. But at the same time, he's someone that is a five-star point guard that I think could be the best player in this class as it continues to bear out. So for the second pick, going with Isaiah Collier. So Collier is, you're right in terms of training. He is a bully when he gets in the paint. Yes, I mean, sir. He, he's such a big and strong finisher that if he gets to the paint, he's scoring. Like, he's going to finish. Yeah. That's how good of a um, finisher he is. He attacks downhill for that reason. Um, Chris shots those teammates I have on here, pretty good live dribble passer, and he's able to play at different speeds. Um, the one concern I do have, though, for him is that he's averaging nearly five turnovers a game, and I think it, a lot of that has to do with his decision-making. Streaky shooter, a little lack of days going defense. So, again, he's he's a flawed prospect, but in this class, I mean, him and Saar, I think, definitely have the two highest ceilings in terms of that's what you're drafting for, I do think. But, yeah, there's a lot of things that... He still has to improve, but hey, San Antonio, great player development, especially if Coach Popovich is around. Yeah. Um, he should be able to alleviate that need. Um, number three, you said is Washington, correct? Yes, it is. Okay, so Washington, I'm going to give the guy who I would have given to the Spurs at number two. Washington also needs a point guard. They do. But this guy basically came on the scene out of nowhere. Like, he wasn't even on boards this time last year. He wasn't on boards by the NBA draft for this year's class. Um, he skyrocketed, and now he's basically almost top five everywhere. That's Nikola Topic, point guard from Mega. I believe he's Serbian. I apologize if that's incorrect. But um, he, won right. MVP, he won MVP of the FIBA U18 European Championship. And he currently leads the Adriatic League in assists and second in scoring, while also being just about the youngest player in this entire draft. He will still be 18 on draft night. So the fact that he's being that productive professionally overseas right now, I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Luka Doncic, obviously, or Wembley yeah. or anybody like that, but mm-hmm. the, league, the league he's playing isn't as competitive as the Euro League where Luka won in Japan. But even so, I mean, he's... The fact that he's able to dominate that well in a pro league already shows that he's pretty ready to go. He's a six foot seven point guard. He has ball handling, creativity, and vision. Makes him great out of the pick and roll. He plays with very unique pace, which compensates for his lack of explosiveness. So we've seen recent years shiftiness, like guards every long shiftiness over athleticism become like a very big trend. Look at Luka Doncic. Look at Shea Gilgis Alexander. Jalen Brunson is a perfect example of that. Yep. So I think that scouts could, you know, see the shiftiness and say, okay, we don't care as much about the athleticism as we did a couple years ago and take him. Um, Not only do I think he's a great fit in Washington, but I also think he's probably the best player on the board at this point. He shoots 62% on his twos. He's questionable shooting from three right now, but he is an 80% free throw shooter. And typically in the draft, um, free throw shooting is more indicative of, you know, future shooting potential than actual three-point shooting percentages. 
So yeah, at three, I'll give the Wizards Nikola Topic. I like it. I think it's solid. Um, someone who, like you said, came on the scene recently, but he can play. His passing, really, really good. Um, I put intriguing big league guard who makes advanced reads, and I like his jumper too. His jumper's definitely not broken. That's why I think it definitely comes along at some mm-hmm. point. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, number four. I am number four. We have the Memphis Grizzlies and Hucha. Memphis, man. Um, I'm going to go. I, the way I looked at Memphis, they're, I, I mean, I think they're set at point guard with John Morant. Um, they're set at shooting guard Desmond Bain. Like Jaron Jackson, when Stephen Adams healthy, I think he's there. I really would like a nice three. Someone athletic, someone who could run alongside these young guys, play above the rim, positional size for defense. And so I went with the guy I would have taken a little higher, and that's Ron Holland from G League Unite. 6'8", 200 pounds, be 19th the draft. I love his good positional size. I love his athletic ability, his ball handling. I thought when I first made my notes that he's been flashing like great scoring potential, but I think over the last couple of games for G League Unite, they found more of their stride, and he's been a lot better as well in contributing to that, just going off. And his swing skill for me is his outside jump shot, particularly from three. Like, if that's something that can really be a reliable thing, oh, yeah, I love it. Like, I, I doubt he'll be at four if that's a real thing. But I like his ability to run alongside, you know, Ja, play alongside Desmond Bain, defensively hold up well with Bain and, and Jaron Jackson. Like, I think he'll be a very good fit for them. Um, and I think they need help at the three. So I'm going to go with Ron Holland, number four for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh oh. I guess it's a Steven show now. Ah, I went to mute myself and removed myself. So oh, like, I'm ready to go, Cole, but I'm ready to do these next 10 picks on my own. <laughs> no, no, that was a total accident. I went to mute myself and whoops. Anyways, it is your reaction. What do you think about Ron Holland to the Grizzlies? You might have already started before I decided to dip out. So, Ron Holland, G League Ignite got off to a disastrous start of the G League season. They started. Oh, yeah, they old- did. One and eight. And during that time, Holland was shooting 20% from three and 57% from the line while averaging four turnovers per game. Jeez. Which is, which is concerning. Um, yeah. Holland was always kind of a prospect that was more known for how competitive he was, especially on the defensive end of the floor, rather than relying on athleticism or tools or anything like that. Um, he's very explosive in the open court, though he doesn't create for himself. But since they started one and eight... He, since the last three games, they've won two of them. He scored 28, 8, and 4, 31, and 8, and 21, 8, and 3. So he's definitely, you know, starting to turn the corner in terms of this was a guy who was anticipated number one overall pick when he committed to G League Ignite. And now, you know, he's starting to show the flashes as to why, even though, you know, the first nine games or so were a complete disaster. So... Yeah, I mean, I like how I have him right now. I believe number six on my board. So, yeah, four's fine. Okay, in that range. I have him seven, actually, on my board, but even so, yeah. And, again, I think a lot of these guys are all in, like, the same tier. I don't think there's a big separation between any of them. So, okay. I agree. It's such a weird fit right now, but your turn. Number five is the Trailblazers. Um, yes, it is. Portland, 6-16. I did my order yesterday, so obviously a few things have changed since from last night's games so okay five for the trailblazers this is another guy who i definitely think would be a dark horse to go number one overall 
again, this class is wide open. We have no idea who exactly it's going to be. And for Portland, yes, they have Scoot Henderson. They have Shaden Sharp. They have Anthony Simons. They have DeAndre Aiden. They obviously just traded for Jeremy Grant, Malcolm Brogdon with some veterans. I still think they go for the best guy available, but I do think this guy is also a need that they have. And given they just started the rebuild, I think they definitely have the time to be patient with this guy and develop him. Zachary Rishasher, who is a wing for J.L. Berg. And so he's an overseas guy. I've seen him some places as 6'8", other places I've seen him as 6'10". I'm not sure exactly how tall he is. So we're going to see where that comes in at. He's a very high floor prospect. He could guard one through four and stretch the floor. This year in um, the European League he's playing in, he's shooting 46% from three, which is phenomenal, obviously. He's currently playing in the French League, the same league that Wemby played in last year, I believe. Um, He has a lot of Trey Murphy to his game. I know I took that from either Sam Bassini, Wasserman, Giveny, one of them. But that, that's exactly who he is. And I, I'm big on Trey Murphy. Sure, he went 17 overall his year. But in a draft like this, if that's what you're being guaranteed, with oh, yeah. a little bit more upside, I love it. Oh, um, yeah. Murphy will go higher now. Absolutely. Um, if he shows a little bit more shot creation, I think he will end up being the number one overall guy. Because he, from last year, has improved dramatically. So he's kind of on that upward trajectory while a lot of guys are, like, stagnant. So, yeah, um, I did notice he does have some passing inconsistencies right now. He's flashed the low levels that he could be a high-level passer, but he's one of those dribble pass shoot wings at potentially 6'10", somewhere between 6'8 and 6'10", big dribble pass shoot wing that every team covets in today's NBA. Absolutely, and his positional size is something, is something different. He's fluid for that size, you know? His shot making, I think, is going to be interesting, the upside there. Yeah. Do you think it extends to the NBA just from, like, what you see overseas? Yeah. I mean, again, shot looks very fluid. It's tough for me to watch some of these guys playing in Europe because the synergy I had is only for um, college basketball. So, admittedly, I watch when I can, but he's one of the guys that just, like, Everything I've seen and everything I've read just makes me think that this guy could be number one overall. I like it. I mean, I don't have him. He's number nine on my board. But like you said, the range is – I said Holland could be number one. He was in number seven. So, like, it's, it's all relative. Exactly. All right. Charlotte. This one was interesting because I was thinking, what does Charlotte need help with? And, like, honestly – I think they need like a big, like an actual big. And I mean that behind, I mean a backup big rather, not an actual big. I'm saying actual big because I've been watching two games of them without Mark Williams and it's been not great. Like Nick Richards is a big, but he's not very good. And they play small ball PJ Washington, but just went down with a shoulder injury. So like I'm reactionary here, but I thought about it. I'm like, I like them at point guard, but maybe I like them at two guard. Like Terry Rozier, I thought he's done a solid job of being a shooting guard soon to a point guard position. If you like Brandon Miller, which I wasn't high on his selection, but like I've been eating major crow. He's been solid there. I don't know what you think about Bridges. Uh, don't want to go there. Um, or Washington. So it was kind of weird, but I ended up just going with uh, Montez Buzelis um, from G League Ignite. Um, 6'11", 209 um, in terms of how, how much he weighs. So he'll be 19 in the draft. He's just somebody... 
that I think of fitting like a Gordon Hayward type will be a free agent at the end of the year anyway. Um, in the sense that he's skilled, he's crafty for his size, he's really smooth with the ball. Um, I love his good court vision, his jump shot, like the numbers have been up and down. Um, but I think, like you said about Topic, he has like a really solid looking jump shot, like good form on it. Nothing looks funky. Um, and so I think he would be helpful there. And I think he's somebody who can play the four as a playmaking four. He's somebody who can play like a, a jumbo three. Um, I just like him as a front court guy. And I really think he would add some versatility alongside Brandon Miller. If you play like LaMelo, Brandon Miller, Buzelis, and Mark Williams. Like, I think that'd be an interesting kind of lineup. And I think that Buzelis can add a different skill set to the Hornets from that position. So that's why I have rolling, um, with the number six pick to the Hornets. So I also had Buzelis to the Hornets, actually. Um, I had it at seven because I guess they jumped the Jazz last night after losing. But, yeah. I, I mean, keep forgetting I gave you an earlier board. My mistake. That's no problem. Um, <laughs> Buzelis is very Lamar Odomask in terms of, like, that big 6'11 point power forward type guy. I like and that. And same thing I said, everything about Vistashaw in terms of a dribble pass shoe type big wing slash guard. That applies to Brazil as well, except he's a bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs to be a bit more physical as a defender as well as finishing through contact. But I did notice he definitely looks like he added some muscle recently from the last time we saw him play. But the thing with him, though, he really needs to tighten his handle to be like a ball handler the same way like the Odom was. If he doesn't, I think he's good enough of a shooter that even if the ball handling doesn't come around, he's good enough of a shooter to play an off-ball role. And, you know, he's a three-level shot maker. He has range. So if the dribble comes around or the handle comes around, rather, then you'll think you're looking at a pretty good player. But I I think this is more of a floor pick rather than a ceiling pick. And you're right. Gordon Hayward's a free agent. Miles Bridges is most likely. He just took a one-year qualifying offer, so he might not be back. Buzelis kind of fills in that perfect role for them, playing alongside Randy Miller, LaMelo, Bougier, and Mark Williams. Glad I can agree with the expert here. <laughs> okay, so we have Utah at seven? Um, yes, we do. Utah, okay. Chicago, Atlanta. Next up. Okay, so I'm going to differ because this draft played out differently than I mocked it, actually. That's on me, but yeah, I get you. So, okay. Seven for Utah. I love Utah, some of the fly GMing. <laughs> yeah, so they definitely need, like, guard play. Like, everyone they have is a forward or a big. If you just look at the roster, it's very True. unbalanced in that aspect. Very I mean, they have Tom Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, and Keontae George, and that's about it. Bryce Sensibles obviously played in the G League. Um so let me give them the not only the number one guy on my board, but he's also a guard that fits well with them. He could play on the wing. He's more of a combo guard. So, yeah, maybe if they need a lead guy, he could be it. If they need a combo guy, they could be it. If they need a wing, he could be it. That's Stefan Castle from UConn. Solid pick. He has plus tools for a big athletic playmaking guard, and he could defend at a high level. He's a three-level scorer, plays at his own pace, he plays pretty slow where he just kind of methodically breaks down the defense. But he makes reads across court in the pick and roll, live dribble passing. He hasn't played much for UConn. I saw UConn in person twice live this year at Madison Square Garden. 
He didn't play the first game because he was hurt. And the second game, it was his first game back from injury, so I only played like 15 minutes. So I didn't get a great live look at him. But, I mean, everything dating back to his high school tape up until now, I just I, I like everything about him just because of how interchangeable he could be on both offense and defense. And, yeah, I think he fit Utah like a glove. I agree. In my notes, I have the same thing. Like, smooth athlete, good mechanics on jumper, especially from the mid-range. Um, I love his positional side as a jumbo guard, a guy who could, again, play point and shooting, but in this team would more than likely play point, right? Like, I think it's a solid selection. Um, I think he's somebody who can distribute a little better than these other – I mean, a little better. He can distribute better than the Jazz current guards, right? But someone who can also score too, not a liability there. And if he stretches out his jumper to three consistently, oh, yeah. That's a steal of a pick either way, but definitely someone I'm I'm high on for sure. So great, great pick. I have him um, – I had him number five on mine. Okay. All right. I think I have him number three, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, three is solid. All right, so now we are at Chicago. Yes. Pretty sure Chicago, then Atlanta, I think I said. Um, because I went and moved away to check on my notes and moved away from my draft. Lovely. Great radio here, y'all. All right, here we go. It is Chicago. They are number eight. Looking at what they need. I mean, listen, they need help everywhere. But if we think that Levine is gone, which more than likely is, we think that DeRozan's gone, which he probably is. Actually, probably should flip the two. I think DeRozan more than likely is gone, and Levine probably is. Um, also, by the way, just plug in my friend here. Check out Steven's article on the Zach Levine um, trade destinations on the lead. Um, try the lead in general, but there's an article written by Steven there. So that'll break down the whole deets on Mr. Levine. But looking at it, I think I'm going to go with the guard. And I think the guard I'm going to go with is Jacoby Walter out of Baylor. Um, Walter is 6'5", 195 pounds, will be 19 at the draft. Uh, another guy with a smooth jumper who can shoot it. Stefan Castle, I think, needs to shoot it a little bit more from three. Jacoby Walter shoots a great from mid-range to the NBA three. Like, he's just a good shooter. I like him. Can guard three possessions with why I'm really grabbing him. I think he's someone that's young. You're kind of maybe not building around, but he's someone who can defend his position. I'd say he can defend one through three. Um, good size and somebody could shoot the rock. And I think, listen, you're Chicago. You're basically, hopefully, starting at ground zero with the rebuild. Like, that is the hope. Ideally, based on the reports we've seen, that's probably not going to happen. But the hope would be that it would. And if so, I think you can do worse than drafting Jacoby Walter and having him as one of your pieces to start the rebuild with. I like Walter. I mean, he's movement shooter, shot maker, and perimeter D. I mean, that's the starter pack. And that's really... You know what every team in the NBA could use, essentially? Mm -hmm. I wasn't sold on the shot up until, you know, his freshman year came along and he's just been shooting lights out. And, yeah, the the only thing I am concerned with, he doesn't play much on ball. He's very limited handle and a lack of explosiveness. He only has seven assists in his his team's first eight games. He's he's not that pass. Yeah, so that's the biggest issue with him. But, I mean, again – Movement shooting and perimeter D. That's at the in this draft at this point, Chicago will take. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that they definitely will. I, I think it would make sense to give it a shot, and you know, just go from there. Again, this is a draft right now where where they're drafting right now. They're going to get guys that like are not the answer, but potentially can be part of the answer, right? Uh, but they're still trying to figure out what the question is. So that's Chicago for you. But you are next, my friend, with the Atlanta Hawks, number nine. Okay. 
So I'm going to go with someone who doesn't fit that great, but I just, again, I'm taking best available here. Cody Williams, wing from Chicago, or wing from Colorado, excuse me. He is Jalen Williams from OKC, the Santa Clara Jalen Williams, um, younger brother. He projects as a positive defender. He's a much improved playmaker. He's kind of been playing de facto point guard for Colorado in a sense. And yeah, he doesn't really create for others and he's not a great catch shoot guy right now. But again, big wing who covers ground well and can play make in a sense. That's important in today's NBA. And, you know, he is just one of those guys that if you just kind of bet on the shot coming around, you have a hell of an archetype of a player if the shot does. And even if it doesn't, you still have a pretty damn good one. So give me, I know Atlanta has guys like A.J. Griffin who can't even crack the rotation right now, but a couple years from now when they have A.J. Griffin and Cody Williams and Jalen Johnson with Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, Onyeka Kongo will probably be starting center by then, and all of a sudden Atlanta might be cooking a fire a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a thought. I like it. Um, do you, okay, do you think he would just be a fit right in, or would you have to move someone around Atlanta to, like, make him ideal role? Or are you not even thinking about that? I'm not worried about it. Okay. Again, you can't have enough wing depth in today's NBA, and the fact that they have A.J. Griffin, who a lot of people had number one at one point on their boards on their team last year, and he doesn't even play. I mean, that's a luxury to have. It's not like Atlanta's flush with wing depth, but, like, let's say I know Atlanta has been, like, the main team for Pascal Siakam. If they, like, trade DeAndre Hunter and, I don't know, Bogdan Bogdanovich or something, or DeAndre Hunter and some, whoever it may be, maybe Clint Capella mm-hmm. to a third team like Dallas. But let's say they do that, then all of a sudden you need wings and you need guards. Cody Worms will fit right in, assuming they resign Siakam, and I, I'm not too worried about it. Playing in my in my in my um current uh residence of Colorado, so definitely someone that is cool for sure. Um, all right. Let's go to the next team here, which would be the San Antonio Spurs again via Atlanta, no, via Toronto. And I'm going to take a wing, and it's a wing who's been much maligned as of late. Hasn't really looked good in all the things that he was supposed to look good in, um, but I still believe in him, and that is Justin Edwards. Um, 6'7", 180 pounds, freshman. He will be 20 at the draft, averaging 13.4 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, and 1.2 assists. I say that because I thought his stats were actually worse. But with that being said, in theory, Edwards is a smooth lefty knockdown shooter. I have in my notes great with the pull-up J, and I love his defensive versatility. I wanted to see some more um, on-ball creation skills. I have not seen that as of yet. Um, his defense has been up and down. His jumper has been shaky, too. So it's not been great altogether. But... Again, I like what he's come into. I think that Kentucky pedigree is something that's a thing, and hopefully he will continue to improve as the season goes along. I mean, he better. He wants to be drafted in the lottery. Um, and I do believe in his jump shot. It hasn't been a, a knockdown thing as of yet, but I think a guy like that would be a perfect fit in the Spurs system. And if you can get him at number 10 um, based off where he was supposed to have been ranked, you know, going into the season, I think that's a steal. Based off where he is right now, you're probably reaching. But um, I like Justin Edwards still. I believe in him as a player. I still think it's kind of early, and he would be a good fit for me with the Spurs uh, for some wing depth there, especially the move from Calvin Johnson, which has been a rumor I saw today on, on Twitter. So Justin Edwards was kind of up there with Ron Holland and Buzelis is like, okay, this guy could be number one overall in the draft up since, you know, big boards for this year started being created. 
he's falling down boards quick. I mean, I was looking at mock drafts today, and Jonathan Wasserman has him down at 27. He almost has him in the second round. Mm. Um, his calling card coming into college was his shooting. That's falling off a cliff. I know, Corbin, you just said that. You know you still believe in the shot. I think I do too, which is why I still have him in my lottery, given that, you know, that's always been his calling card. But the issue is sometimes he looks completely lost out there. And he's an old freshman. He's going to be 20 years old uh, at the draft. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of issues that I think need to be worked out. He's a limited ball handler. He's averaging only one assist per game. But, I mean, if the shooting comes back around, I do have. He has good hips to stay with his man on defense, and he has them to contest shots. So, yeah, I mean, if he could evolve into a 3 and D type guy, then, yeah, he's probably going to be a lottery pick. Yeah, I, I, that's the hope. That's the hope. I, I, I don't know. I think, like you said, it's been it's not been great. Like it's really not been great. But it's something that I hope comes into play here. You know, it'd just be really cool to see. Um, not only from my own scouting perspective and like how high I was, and many people were high on him coming into the year, but just like not letting go of the faith, right? And if he regresses, he regresses. Like he's still an NBA player. Just where is the question? But yeah, I agree. I agree. Although you tell me the numbers, yikes, or telling me more about the shot, eh, you know. But um, anyways, we are moving right along. You have the Portland Trailblazers via the Golden State Warriors. Okay, so ironically enough, the 10 guys I have is my top 10 or the 10 mm-hmm. that you and I both took. I love it. I love it. Let me get big my big number big 11 big. guy, I suppose. Because, again, you said it's Portland. Mm-hmm. So Portland, I already gave them vicious share at five. So mm-hmm. now they're up again at 11. And like I said earlier, they're still so early on in the in the rebuild. It doesn't really matter. They don't need to take like a win now type guy. Just mm-hmm. take the best player available and figure it out later. So I'm going to give for them Donovan Klingon, who's a center at UConn. He's massive. He's 7'2", 280. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty good passer for a big, actually. And he's a drop coverage nightmare on defense. He's very similar to Walker Kessler in that aspect. In terms of, yeah, he played drop coverage. He's going to protect the hell out of the rim. Mm-hmm. Last year, he came in with a lot of hype. If he declared last year, he still probably would have been a first-round pick. He played behind Adama Sinogo on last year's national championship team and was a monster per minute. And everyone said, like, he was a dark horse sleeper to be national player of the year this year. Yeah. He had a foot injury in the offseason. That hasn't come to fruition. I still think he's only played, I think, over 20 minutes a game one or, one or two times this year. So I still do think, you know, he's 7-2 and he has foot problems. That doesn't sound great for my pitch to draft him at number 11. But I, I think what I'm trying to do is pitch him that, okay, look, he's been slowed by that. We haven't seen him fully as the focal point of, a team that's trying to repeat in the national championship. Um, he definitely fouls too frequently right now, but that's something you could definitely teach, especially when you're playing drop coverage. So, yeah, I know they have DeAndre Aiden. I know they have Rob Williams, who will be back healthy next year. But I don't know. I think Klingon could have a high upside of the three, and you just take him and, as I said, figure it out later. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm a little more down on Klingon. I think, like you said, a foul-prone, you know, injury risk who has not played heavy minutes and i think that's just a recipe for disaster i i think he's you're how him like i'm on edwards like i just haven't seen it as of yet and you know you say hey you could teach people to stop fouling i mean tell that to jaron jackson jr 
But like, aside from that, um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a solid one. I definitely think he has some real potential. He's been dominating college. Different game in NBA. And I just want to see how some of his skills translate. You know, outside shooting, you know, durability. Like, there's a few things I do have concerns about him, like, fitting in the NBA, like, moving forward, you know? And it's still early. But that those are my concerns with him. That I'm like, eh, is he on my list, actually? Um, no, he didn't make my list. But, like, he's somebody I've definitely been monitoring because I've heard a lot about him. And it's it's a good, like, exercise for my own like draft evaluation skill because I hear a lot about him high and I'm like, he's not high on me. So it's like, is something I stick to my guns on something where I like listen to experts. And so I'm going to kind of hedge here, but I definitely like um, you having that selection. All right. So number 12 is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And man, this is tough because most of my guys are gone. Um, I'm going to go with a guard, a backup guard, I think for, uh, Darius Garland, a guy who can play alongside Garland potentially if when Donovan Mitchell leaves. I don't really think so, but I like him. Good isolation player, good potential. Okay, I'll stop and tell you who he is. Tyrese Proctor. Um, Duke, I like his size. 6'5", 183 pounds, will be 20 at draft. I think he plays at a really good pace. I think that'd be really good when you're playing, you know, with with fluid base like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, like guys who can get up and down the floor. I think playing with a good pace is good, but what I like about him is his upside defensively. I think it is very solid. And he came into college, you know, flashing a pretty decent three-pointer. And it's been up and down since he's actually been in college. But I like his stroke. I think maybe just more consistency on that um, and better percentages as well. Um, more Tyus Jones than Trey Jones from three, if you remember. But anyways, um, I, I just think that he's a solid player that will fit uh, pretty decently. I actually had him a little bit later in my lottery. But just given the team fit, I thought that would work. Um, but, yeah, I, I have him I have him um, going number 11 to the Portland or number 12 rather to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I like Proctor. He's another guy who's kind of fallen down boards a bit. People don't realize this. He actually reclassified last year to join Duke as a freshman. So he was already young to begin with. And now he had a great end of the year last year that kind of put him on the map in terms of a prospect this year, a lottery pick. And everyone him making a All-American type jump. And because that didn't happen, I feel like that's why he's kind of falling down boards. But I, I don't care what a guy does in college in terms of if he's an All-American or not. I care about, you know, the tools and tangibles, what he could be on an NBA team. To me, he looks like the part of a big playmaking guard. Um, high, high, high playmaking IQ. He flashes. He has flashes of shot-making versatility. He has self-creation, playmaking. Again, he's 6'5". He's only 19 years old, combo guard. He's currently out with an ankle injury, so I feel like that might make his stock plummet even more. But it wouldn't shock me if he comes back from this injury and, you know, ends up first-round pick based off how he plays towards the end of the year. Um, he has legitimate ball screen skills, and, you know, that's important to his NBA as well. So, yeah, I like that pick for Cleveland. Appreciate that, my friend. All right, so you are up next uh, in our second-to-last pick with the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns. Okay. Let me get Ryan Dunn, wing from Virginia. He He is just about one of the best defenders I've ever seen as a prospect. He... Um, he averages almost six stocks per game. 
For those of you at home, a stock is a steal or a block. He averages almost six a game. He's a big wing defender. Again, can't get enough of those. And he could legitimately switch one through five. Phoenix desperately needs depth. And while Dunn might only average, he reminds me a lot of Matisse Fiebel in the fact that he doesn't have much of an offensive game, but he's just predicated on defense. Matisse Thibault fit great in Phoenix alongside Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal because you let those three guys cook and you just have the toughest offensive assignment every night and switch one through five when you need to. So I love this fit for Ryan Dunn for Phoenix. He shot only 26% from three, but again, if you can find a way to be a catch and shoot guy, he'll be a very, very, very high-level rotation player. A lot of comps I've seen are Herb Jones from the New Orleans Pelicans, where I think not only is he a better defender than Jones, but Jones can do more offensively, at least in terms of ball handling. Dunn can't really do that much at all. He does have a lead explosion and foot speed, so if he could develop a handle, he could do a better job getting to the rim. But again, right now he doesn't have a handle, doesn't create, doesn't can really pass, and that's all a major issue. But again, for a team like Phoenix with championship aspirations, if they do somehow end up in the lottery, they desperately need depth. Take an all-world defender and don't think twice about it. I think your philosophy is sound on that. I think it's very sound. I am still learning more about him as a prospect, but I like who you have there for sure. Right. Closing out the lottery with the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going to go with a big. And mind you, uh, the fit there is, is interesting, but I like him. And I he's one of those guys that Justin Edwards I like more than maybe, I want to say consensus, because he comes with a pretty good pedigree. But just I want to be, wanted him to be better than he is. actually have him number 10 in my draft board, which, while very preliminary, is still, I understand, a little premature. And that's Kyle Filipowski. Um, Duke, 7 feet, 248 pounds, will be 20 of the drafts. I know I like him more in theory than in actual practice because in theory you know actually in practice a versatile big man in theory a capable three-point shooter um can pass and facilitate and can bang in the post i want to see some of that particularly a shooting become more actualized um than just you know theoretical but i do like what he brings to the table from that perspective in terms of being able to space the floor a bit i think they'll open the, the floor a little bit when you have a guy you know like a zion williamson like a brandon ingram um i guess for as long as you have Jonas valanciunas you can play the four you can play the five run the floor, can bang in the post, and also is another nice passer, joining, again, a Zion from that kind of 4-5 matchup. So I just think that that would give some good versatility to New Orleans. Again, if you could shoot the ball from three better, then I'm not even feeling – I'm not thinking twice about this pick. As it is right now, only have slight, like, reservations. But for the last pick of the lottery in the very first lottery I'm doing here, the Ramble Ramble Lottery Mock Draft 1.0, I don't have a problem picking Kyle 14. So – Filipowski and Zion fit fine together. Obviously, both of them played at Duke. Ingram played at Duke. They have a lot of Duke guys on that team. Um, if Zion's even there, I mean, there's obviously been speculation recently that the team keeps asking him to diet or get in better shape, and he just refuses to do it. At some point, the Pelicans are going to get fed up with it. And it wouldn't shock me if this was a year and this was the offseason they moved him. Um, even so... Filipowski, he's a real seven-footer who could handle the ball, um, pass off a live dribble, make three-pointers. Um, he also has a very high skill level as a post-thread and pick-and-roll finisher. He's an underrated defender. He could definitely defend in space. And the Pelicans have so many guys who could defend in space. Why not just add another one? 
I don't know how well Phil Paskey could play on the wing alongside Zion, so he probably have to play him as like a stretch five, which I think he's able to do. Um, or play behind Zion and stagger them, do whatever. Um, he has good, <clears throat> excuse me, has good touch inside the arc. And the one thing that people aren't talking about for Filipowski, he just had hip surgery on both of his hips this past year. So that should really help with his defensive like fluidity in terms of moving his hip on the perimeter defending guys. So, yeah, I mean, I like it. I, I think I have him 16 on my board right now, so I have him right there as well. Okay, so he's in that range. And, yeah, I, I, I definitely get your, your point about his fit there and, and 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 the thought, the reservation there. But like you said, the potential is also there. And I'm I'm choosing to be positive on this one. I'm definitely going with that. But um, real quick, because we definitely got done faster than I thought we would. Um, obviously, listen, a little behind the scenes uh, uh, podcasting notes. I was like, hey, I don't know if, you know, an hour will be enough time. And Steven's like, yeah, it's a mock. I don't think it'll be too long. And I was like, okay, I guess so. And here we are in a cool 45 minutes. Done. So let's go, just goes to show you listen to, to the podcast game here. Um, I'm getting there though. Anyways, with that being said, any overarching thoughts before we close out here, Stephen, about this draft class before I let you go? Any overarching? I think what I said in the beginning of the episode still applies that every mm-hmm. draft class is going to have someone. I mean, 2020, obviously, I already talked about in terms of everyone thought that was a weak class, and then all of a sudden you got five borderline All-NBA guys out of those. But like even 2013, everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, Anthony Bennett, Oladipo, Cody Zeller, Otto Porter. Okay, I get it. Giannis came out of that class. Very true. My point is you can't, you know, you kind of need to take every draft pick with a grain of salt, but you also need to take it seriously because you never know. Like, with the right player development and the right prospect, any player, I think, can pop. Um. Just like Giannis did. So that's my biggest philosophy is that you just, you got to do your due diligence, even in a weaker class. And just because it's a weaker class doesn't mean, hey, I'm just going to trade my first round pick. Sure, I'm more inclined to, but I'm not just going to trade it just to trade it. No. If I'm an no. NBA executive. Yeah, it's not a given that that will be the case. So I definitely agree with you on that for sure. Yeah. I, I definitely need something to monitor. I think this will be another one in the long line of, of, um, pods that we'll kind of use to evaluate and go okay was this a worthwhile draft class like what gems did we get what evaluations were missed like i think it'll definitely be something interesting in terms of looking at at, a class to evaluate for for, for a while so definitely excited to see kind of what that looks like um but either way should be a lot of fun and i'm definitely looking forward to doing more of these having you on before more maybe player deep dives or maybe just a team specific mock draft We'll, we'll have some fun here uh you Obviously, know your college and basketball and your NBA, college basketball and your NBA basketball. And I love not only being a buddy of yours, but also being able to kind of come to you with them some of this stuff. So before I let you go, please let the other fine folks know where they can find you and your work um, as I do. So you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore NBA goal. That's N-B-A-G-E-L-L. You can follow me on Twitter at Bird Rights Pod. You could follow the one and done podcast again. I do Bird Rights Pod, which is an NBA front office pod. And I do one and done a college basketball podcast. Well, my co-host John and I have been doing a good amount of player interviews of high-level um, players. That's been a lot of fun. You could follow the One and Done podcast wherever you get your podcast. And, yeah, same thing with Bird Rights Pod. You could follow Instagram, TikTok for Bird Rights for One and Done. I'm posting content, trying to post frequently. But, yeah, so go find that. And, Corbin, thank you so much for having me on. 
Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for coming on and giving me some of your time and expertise. Listen, y'all, check him out, please. Um, again, at the underscore NBA G-E-L-L. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Pretty simple, just like that. Also on Instagram, if you like, why not? Check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S. Check out Swish Theory on Twitter at Swish Theory, F-W-I-S-H-T-H-E-O-R-Y. Why did I spell Swish Theory? Y'all know how to spell. Anyways, my bad, y'all. We are out for Steven, for myself. We are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and we'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right.